My name is Luke. I have the privilege of serving with youth and the worship team. Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 2, 19 through 30 from the NIV. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety." So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is God's word. Thank you, Luke. Friends, the book of Philippians is our field guide to joy, and the author, the Apostle Paul, has been exploring how we can find joy and what it looks like in different areas of our lives. And today, we're given a window into the relationship of the Apostle Paul, his relational world. And from this this window, there are valuable and important lessons for you and I. So whether you're a longtime veteran Christian or you're just joining us this morning exploring Christian faith, we endeavor to understand what it is that God does in our lives that enables us to experience joy in a relationship with him and with each other. Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you created us for relationship. And you've made a way through the gospel for us to be in relationship with you and also in relationship with one another. Thank you that we have a foundation, a a truth, a power that is greater than all the barriers between us, a a truth that is able to, to heal even the deepest relational wounds and bring us together. So I pray today that you would teach us and remind us of why that is and what that looks like, and as a result, that we would be changed. And for those that don't know you, we pray that today they would come to know you and trust in Jesus. For we pray all these things in his name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, among the many things I binged watched during lockdown life in a small flat in London when we were still living there, my favorite was The Last Dance. ESPN's blockbuster documentary series on the title-winning Chicago Bulls. And what strikes you if you were to watch this is not only the individual talent of the world-famous Michael Jordan, but the power of partnerships 
within a team. The now legendary coach Phil Jackson said this, the strength of the team is each individual member and the strength of each member is the team. In many ways, this is one of the standout features of Philippians. In this letter, without drawing too straight a line between Michael Jordan and the Apostle Paul, we glean not only from Paul's leadership and his teaching, but here at the end of chapter two, we are reminded about his team, or more specifically, his partnerships. Like many discover, whether it's in sport or in work or in school, we were made to work together. It is not always easy. Sometimes it is very difficult, but we see the value of working together. Listen, friends, life is a long journey, and there are many difficulties and trials along the way, but they're meant to be shared. They're meant to be shared in community. If we're going to experience joy in this life, we need what we see in Philippians 2, gospel partnerships. When the difficulties come, when the trials come into your life, when suffering arises, who do you lean into? Where is your community? Do you have people in your life? Do you have a network? Do you have an ecosystem of men and women that you can go to? They will sit with you. They will help you. They will pray for you. The reason I ask this question is because this kind of community that we see here in Philippians 2 is absolutely necessary for us to experience joy, especially in these crazy, tense, and uncertain times. Well, the Christian church is a community of gospel partnerships where every member is involved. And here at the end of Philippians 2, we are given a portrait of gospel partnerships. And I want you to note that this is more than just about friendliness, right? Friendliness doesn't require major investments of your time and energy or sacrifice, but partnership does. So what are the marks of gospel partnership and how can we develop this in reality Ventura. If you're new and exploring Christianity, what does this mean for you? Why do you need this in your life? And how does the gospel bring it? See, here's the thing. A church staff and a church leadership cannot manufacture this. A church staff can't make this happen for your life. We can try to organize the church and give you opportunities to discover it, but we cannot manufacture it. So all of us here this morning, we would do well to note the example and the instruction we find in this chapter. For we learn from the relationships of the Apostle Paul, three relationships in particular. There's the church in Philippi, there's a man named Timothy, and another named Epaphroditus. And we note that their relationships are built on far more than circumstance or convenience or preference. No, their relationship is built on a much more powerful foundation. So this morning, I want to point out these three qualities or characteristics of gospel partnerships that we might learn how to cultivate 
them in reality Ventura. And the first is this. Gospel partnerships are marked by empathy. When we're talking about relationships within the church and we think about them in terms of partnership, the first characteristic we note is empathy. By way of reminder, here is the Apostle Paul writing from prison. He's been put there on false charges of civil unrest because of his Christian preaching. And at this time, his future is uncertain. But his relationship with the church that he began in the city Philippi years before is not uncertain. He loves these men and women. And though he is separated from them, he is genuinely concerned for them. He's worried about them. And so he writes in verse 19 and 20, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Two key words that stand out there for us is genuine concern. When Paul thinks about these men and women, when he thinks about the church in Philippi, he has a genuine concern. He is not a passive spectator when it comes to the lives of his Christian brothers and sisters, but rather like a parent, he has opened his heart to them. He's concerned for them. And in doing so, Paul shows genuine empathy and care. And he's not the only one. He has a gospel partner, and his name is Timothy. Now, Timothy, there's a lot we can learn about Timothy, and I do share the same name, so I'm inclined to like him. He was a young apprentice to Paul. And by the way, I cannot avoid every time I'm reading the Word of God and we come to Timothy, and Paul's like, I have no one like him. I'm like, oh, (laughs) Paul gets me. And then I have to remind myself that's a bad way to study the Bible. Um, Side note. But to Paul, Timothy was not only a partner, but a son in the faith. And when Paul's thinking about of all the people he could send to Philippi out of his genuine concern for the well-being of these men and women, he wants to send his co-laborer, Timothy, because he says, I have no one like him. I have no one like him. Timothy is the perfect candidate to send. Why? Because like Paul, Timothy shares this genuine concern for the church. And when Paul uses that phrase, I have no one like Timothy, it's a term that means far more than just a willingness to agree. It actually could be translated, Timothy is equal sold. Though it sounds strange to say in English, That's the literal understanding of the Greek word that Paul is using here. Timothy and I, we are equal sold. I have no one like him. He shares the same concerns as I do. He has the same heart and mind when he's thinking about the church. So not only did Paul's heart go out to the church, but Timothy's heart went out to the church. And friends, in the same way, our hearts should go out to one another. Or to put it simply, in reality Ventura, we must be willing to bear one another's burdens. That's the picture 
that you're given in verses 19 through 20. Paul could have been in jail just feeling sorry for himself. How come nobody's emailing me? What's the deal? But instead, he's thinking about the church. He's concerned for them. And when he's making plans, it's so that he can send Timothy to check in on them. And he knows that Timothy will do it. We need to be a community of men and women who are willing to bear one another's burdens. And you know that your community matters when the well-being of other people impacts your own. Right? What a tragedy it would be in the life of Reality Ventura if there's other men and women, let's say, in your community group, and you hear about their suffering. They're like, oh, they're in the hospital. And they're like, whatever, not my problem. We'd be like, ooh, that's not a sign of health. <laughs> that's not a mark of the Christian church. We're like, not my problem. But sadly, how often is that the case? Or think about the, the needs more broadly, maybe a little less dramatic. Like we have needs for people to serve in kids ministry and youth. It's not a sign of help for us to sit there and be like, not my problem. My kids are adults now. What do I have to do with this? <laughs> or I don't really like kids. I don't think they're particularly cute. <laughs> I don't need to serve, right? Our attitude shouldn't be not my problem. You know your community matters when the well-being of the whole impacts your own. Paul says, like, I'm concerned for you. My heart goes out to you. That's the need. So how do we develop this in our church? How do we develop this in our own lives? Well, practically, this was the result, no doubt, of time and effort. See, this like-mindedness that Paul and Timothy shared and the concern they had for the Philippian church was no doubt discovered over time. It's as you begin to get involved, you begin to take the first steps. You begin to ask people how you can pray for them. Take the first opportunity you have to serve them. There's a willingness to serve and a willingness to share of your own life. This doesn't happen naturally. If you're new to the church or new to faith, like don't beat yourself up. You're like, well, I don't really care. So what do I do with that? Well, acknowledge that. It's good to be honest, but begin to take steps today. Hey, I know this is good for me. I know I need to be concerned about the community. So I'm going to take a step today to get involved. I'm going to take a step today to begin to serve. I'm going to take a step today to open up my own life and ask for prayer or ask for help when I need it. See, in real community, we are to experience what we all actually long for, and that is to move from the surface to beneath the surface, to take off the mask, to be able to share what's really going on, and to bear one another's burdens. This is so key, because it means we're no longer spending all this energy just managing our appearances and just trying to tell everyone, it's fine, we're good, everything's fine, can't really help, sorry. But rather, the church should be like a refuge, a place where you can share your burden and you can bear the burdens of others. So Reality Ventura, if, if those of you who've been around for a while, if you already have these kinds of relationships, continue in it. Don't let off. Continue in it. And if you don't have this yet, think today about how you can take 
steps toward it. It could be as simple as getting involved in a community group or signing up to serve or joining a a weekly prayer group, turning to your neighbor and say, hey, you want to pray this week? And that might be a huge step for you, but go for it. And when you do get in relationships with one another, here's a few questions that you can ask to, to help move beneath the surface. I know this because my friends ask this of me. Tim, what are you finding encouraging right now? What are you finding difficult right now? See, those are different questions than like, what'd you do today? Worked. Oh, that's good. I'm glad we have this depth of relationship. Like, there's more to it than that, right? Like, if my wife just asked me, like, like what'd you do? I'd be like, oh yeah, went to the office, emails, meetings, prayed a little, studied a little. Well, that's nice. But if she said, what did you find encouraging? I'd be like, oh, well, I got an email about this, this couple and like their marriage is transformed. That was encouraging. What did I find difficult? Oh man, I was struggling with anxiety when I was dealing with this particular situation. I could really use prayer for that. See, little questions like that can take us deeper and we can begin to bear one another's burdens. So if you want to develop this, listen, ask, support. Gospel partnerships are marked by empathy. They're developed over time. And for Paul and Timothy, it was because of this like-mindedness and this equal-souledness that Paul trusts Timothy to show the same concern that he has for the church in Philippi, which highlights another mark, the second of gospel partnerships, and that is unity. First, we note the empathy. Paul's heart went out to them. And because Paul and Timothy had a strong relationship, because their hearts went out to one another, they shared the same concern for the church. But secondly, there's something deeper here. These partnerships are marked by unity. Sadly, many relationships are ruined in life in general, but particularly in the church, because of selfish ambition. Where when we look around a room like this, or you're considering whether to get involved or to remain involved in a church like this, our primary question is, what am I going to get out of it? How can they enhance my life? I don't like this. This is not my preference. This is not my taste. This is a theme that Paul combats throughout the letter to the Philippian church. And so here, Paul makes a statement He makes a very strong statement of disappointment regarding leaders who live for their own ego. And then he uses a contrast with the example of his co-worker, Timothy. Look at verse 21 through 24. For everyone, he's speaking of these other leaders, looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's his disappointment. But then there's an encouragement. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Many people just look out for their own interests, a statement that could summarize the state of the world, 
Also, some of these bad leaders that Paul referenced in chapter 1. But then he contrasts this. His friend Timothy, this is not the case. God has done such a work in Timothy's life that he has become faithful. So what do we mean when we say gospel partnerships are marked by unity? Well, to put it simply, what we mean is this. You and I, we must be willing to commit to the gospel and the good of others. We must be willing, if we want to think about our relationships in terms of gospel partnerships, we must be willing to commit first to the gospel and as a result to the good of others. Friends, this is important and I don't want you to miss it. When I'm talking about unity, there are two facets in Philippians 2. There is a doctrinal unity and then a relational unity. A doctrinal unity and a relational unity. Both are important. So notice first, there is a doctrinal unity. Paul says it's about loyalty to Christ. It's about unity with Christ. He says everyone, people living in selfishness, they're looking to their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. How did he show it? By working for the gospel. And as a result, a willingness to serve people. Timothy was faithful. He was faithful to the teaching and instruction of the gospel. He was faithful to the work of preaching the gospel, discipling people in accordance with the truth of God's word. See, this is important because a lot of times when we think about relationships, we think about community in the church, we don't have a goal. We're like, I just want friends. Like, okay. But imagine during the meet and greet time, we all just stand up and you just go to people randomly around this room. And you're like, hi, can we be friends? Can we be best friends? Somebody's like, uh, I don't know. Sorry, what's your name? Like, this is so weird. Is there coffee? You know, you just like find a way to leave until the meet and greet time is over. Friendship, relationship, community, it's got to be about something more than itself. You don't just go up to people and say, hi, can we be a community? Like, okay, well, a community for what? Based on what? What is this about? What is this for? Let's be clear. At Reality Ventura, it is all centered on and around the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got nothing. We've got nothing to offer this world. We've got nothing to build on, around, and for. It starts with Jesus, and it is sustained by Jesus, and the goal is Jesus. Can I get an amen? It's not a rhetorical question. <laughs> it's about Christ. There's this doctrinal unity. Jesus is at the center. This is what we believe. This is what we're working for. This is what we're striving for. So practically, that means we're a learning community. We study the Word of God together when we gather on Sundays. We study the Word of God together when we get when we see one another in our community groups, as we're equipping one another, it's about learning and following the way of Jesus together. And as a result, we invest in relational unity. If the gospel's first, I now have a resource that enables me to love and to serve you in the way that I ought. Doctrinal unity, Christ is first. 
And as a result, there is a relational unity. Timothy is noted for being faithful first to God, and as a result, he's willing to serve other people. So Paul says in verse 23, I hope to send him to you to see how things are going. There's a commitment of Paul for these people. There's a commitment from Timothy towards these people. There's a loyalty there. There's a unity there. But note that this is not some kind of blind loyalty like we often see in the world. Paul and Timothy, they're not just like yes men to one another or to the Philippian church. Why? Because their loyalty was first to Jesus. And it's that loyalty that guides and instructs how they're going to deal with their community. Jesus is at the center. And as a result, they're encouraging other people to put Jesus at the center. See, this is how we truly serve others in the church. We make it all about Jesus, and as a result, we call other people to Jesus. See, oftentimes in community, what people want in relationships is nothing but affirmation. A lot of friendships in this world are based on nothing but mutual affirmation. No challenge, no correction, no repentance, just affirmation. Like, you look great. You are great. Everything's great. Everything you do is awesome. Like, did I screw up? No, it's fine. Should I repent? No, don't worry about it. It's like, that's not a real relationship. Sometimes in the church, we're just looking for nothing but affirmation. But if that's the case, you will never grow. You will never grow. You will never learn to follow the way of Jesus. But if Christ is at the center of this community, we will both encourage and challenge one another in accordance with the truth. That's what we need. Do you remember when we studied the book of Proverbs? If you were around earlier this year, so much of Proverbs was about relationships and friendships. And I want to note just a few Proverbs to remind us because they describe the types of relationships we need to experience in the church. These are expressions of true partnership, not blind loyalty. Proverbs 29 verse 5 says, To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. See, the church is not a place where we just go around like, yeah, it's fine, it's all good, you're great, everything's fine. That's just flattery. But to do that is to lay a trap for the feet of the men and women in our community. See, many of us, we miss out on our growth or we fail to be a part of the growth of others because we're not willing to share the truth. But we need to be willing to share the truth. We need to be willing to speak the truth in love. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? See, there's not just a general sense of of commitment, but a practical commitment. See, the opposite of what Proverbs 20 describes would be a fair-weather church member, where you're only around or you're only involved when it's convenient. But if that's the case, you're not committed to the community, you're committed to yourself. You're like, yeah, I'm here when it's easy. I serve when it's only convenient. But that means you're just committed to yourself, not the community. You've heard this phrase, uh, troubles will allow you to see who your friends really are. You've heard that, right? The same is true of the church. I think adversity really reveals 
true community. One more proverb, 17 verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. One of the things I love about the book of Philippians is not only that it's about joy, but it's about joy in adversity. Paul is in jail. He's separated from his friends. The, the Philippian church is facing pressures of, of their own. It would, in some ways, it would be so easy for the relationship just to fall apart, their commitment to fall apart, but it doesn't because it is a community based on truth. It is a partnership. So let's get practical for a moment. When you think about the church, when you think about this community, when you think about your involvement, what are the questions we really ask? See, many of us, we, we ask, do I prefer these people? <laughs> do I like these people? Don't answer that out loud. <laughs> you know what the question should be? Can I partner with these people for the gospel? That's a good question. See, let's be honest. There's a lot of differences in this room. We have differences in, you know, like down to the practical things that we like to do to, to maybe how we get involved or the way we approach ministry, the way we approach evangelism, the way we approach engaging culture and politics and leaders and city. We might have a lot of differences and they might even be irritating to you. But what if we all started asking the question, okay, they're kind of irritating. I don't know if I really agree with them on the side issue, but can I partner with them for the sake of the gospel? Yes. Therefore, I will commit. And we'll have our little debates and it'll be fun, but hopefully we'll show the love of Christ. Far too often, friends, we're asking, do I prefer these people rather than can I partner with these people for the sake of the gospel. When you show up in a social environment in the church, think about that question. You're like, hmm, these aren't the people I was expecting. I don't know if I really like the vibe, but can I partner with them for the gospel? Yes. If they're all about Jesus and we're committed to making it all about Jesus and we're gonna be faithful to the word of God, I can partner with them for the sake of the gospel. Doesn't that just shift the way that you think about community? This is a gospel partnership. And as we start out with that commitment, we begin to grow. But all this is going to require something a little bit deeper, and that's the third mark of gospel partnership. It's marked by humility. How can we practically experience unity around Christ? Well, there's got to be humility. Gospel partnerships are marked by humility. If you've been following the last few weeks, you begin to see very clearly now that Paul is illustrating what he's been emphasizing. He's been emphasizing humility over and over again in the first two chapters. And now in his own life and with his relationships, he's illustrating it. Earlier in this chapter, he taught us to avoid selfish ambition and vain conceit. And Paul has also been teaching us that true joy involves humility. The willingness to place others, the needs of others above yourself. Which is precisely what this next man, Epaphroditus, did. Verse 25 to 28. Paul says, but I think it is necessary, as he's concerned for the church, 
to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. What does this example show us? Well, several things about humility. First, I want you to note in verse 25 that when Epaphroditus is introduced, he's given five titles. How's that? Imagine being introduced like this. Five titles. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and carer. Epaphroditus is awesome. <laughs> Those are great titles. Think about Think about them in groups. The first three titles are one that show this kind of gospel equality. That we're a family. He says, fellow brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. Paul's saying, we are in this together. When you think about the church and you think about community, think about them as a gospel partnership. And when you do, you realize that we're all in the trenches of the world together. We're all co-laborers, fellow soldiers. And I love that image. Because when I think about the need to encourage one another or exhort one another, it gives me more courage to do so. It gives me more conviction to do so. In fact, I once learned that the word exhort was actually used as a military term. So that a, a fellow soldier, when they needed backup, would cry out in the Roman army like, hey, you, get over here, we need you. Here's why that was helpful for me. In the first few years of my church involvement, I was very shy to like exhort someone. I'm like, hey, I think maybe kind of sort of need to repent. I don't know. Is that harsh? Or like, I think I kind of need some help or some encouragement. But, but if you're busy, no problem. And then I learned about this word exhort. There was like, hey, you, we need you. Get over here now. I was like, oh, that changes the vibe a little bit. Friends, we're the church. We're in the trenches. This isn't just about like niceties. This is about, hey, are you serving? Get over here now. We need you. The kids need you. Those chunky little babies, they need you. Sign up. Serve. <laughs> now, at the risk of sounding too harsh, you guys get the idea. There's an exhortation. That's why Paul says, this guy, he's not just a friend. He's my fellow soldier. We're in the trenches together. But then he defines Epaphroditus' relationship to the Philippians. He says, your messenger and the one who cares for you, or literally a carer. Now, what do we see in this? We see humility. Because humility, to put it simply, is a willingness to serve others. Now, here's what's interesting about Epaphroditus. If you do some research, you will discover that he was most likely from a very cultured background. In some ways, he, he had the credentials to see himself as above these other people. It would have been very easy for him to remove himself from the needs of others. Well, I come from kind of a slightly higher tier of society. 
He might have had more money than them. It would have been very easy for him to place himself above the needs of others. But because he's on the same playing field, he's willing to serve. And more than serve, he's willing to sacrifice. See, we learn from this letter that in the course of his work in the gospel and for these people, he became very ill. We don't know what this illness is, but one of the reasons Paul is writing is to give them a report. Paul says in verse 27, he almost died, but thank God he didn't. And so Paul is eager in verse 28 to send him back to the community in Philippi that they might see their recovered friend. And then he goes on to say, we should honor people like Epaphroditus because he did not make his own security his number one priority. That's not how he lived his life. He courageously risked his life. Why? To help another. To help someone else. He lowered himself. He didn't see it as a downgrade coming from his background to serve these men and women, but to use his life in order to push them forward. What a beautiful picture. No wonder, Paul says, hold people like this in high esteem because they're a good model of the very thing I'm teaching. I don't know if you would have remembered this. It was kind of a side story in the news of the sporting world, but there was a dramatic end a few years ago to the Triathlon World Series race. Normally, I don't follow up in these things, but the story that I saw got me so engrossed in it. Because the favored champion, Alistair Brownlee, at the end of this race, he's been working so hard for seconds from crossing the finish line of this triathlon World Series race. Seconds from finishing and crossing that line. You can watch it all on YouTube. He did the unthinkable. He stopped. He slowed down and turned around. If you're watching this live, you're like, what are you doing? But he slowed down, he stopped, and he turned around. Why? Because also in that race was his brother, and his brother's name was Johnny. Johnny was also competing, but Johnny had also made it close to the finish line, but he actually fell down and completely collapsed on the road. And so what did Alistair do? Instead of finishing the race, in the middle of the public eye, he, he does the unthinkable. He turns around. He goes backwards. He picks up his brother, throws his arm around his shoulder, carries him to the finish line, and he pushes him across the finish line. It's beautiful. You watch it, and you're like, oh, why does something like that move me? Why, why is it just an incredible moment? Because it's exactly what we long to know in our community. This empathy, this unity, this humility. And let's be honest, we have not always known it and we have not always shown it. So where do we find the resource? In Jesus Christ. And that's why all of this is only possible in the Lord. Look at verse 29 and 30. So then welcome Epaphroditus when you see him. In the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. He ends this chapter with a charge. Welcome him. 
honor people like him. Hold him in high regard because he's an example. What is he an example of? Jesus. What gives Paul joy in these partnerships? It's when he sees his friends become more like Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful goal? We want to do all this, the serving, the getting committed and integrated into the life of our community. Why? And how does it bring you joy? When you see other people growing in Jesus. And when we see great examples, they're only a mere example of the ultimate source. Jesus is the one whose heart went out to us. He's the son of God who put himself in our place. And more than that, he bore our burden of guilt, our burden of sin and shame. He was so committed to our good that he was willing to live on our behalf and die on our behalf. He humbled himself. Though he was God, he made himself a servant and he made himself ultimately vulnerable. And he didn't just risk his life, but he actually gave his life for our salvation. That's our Savior, Jesus. And in the gospel, Jesus becomes that friend to us, for us, and with us. The relationship you truly need to make all other relationships work is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul says, receive him in the Lord or because of the Lord. So if you're struggling with other people in the church, the charge to you is, but can you receive them because of Jesus? You're like, well, I don't know. They offended me the other week. Okay, that's real. But you can receive them because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. Maybe you're struggling to commit to something, but if you think about it in terms of what Jesus has done, it's a game changer. If you're not yet a Christian and you want to know what makes all other relationships work, friend, you need to know that the first relationship of first importance is a relationship with Jesus. Without him, you are doomed forever. Without him, it's separation from God for eternity. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you will be forever with him, forgiven and accepted into all eternity. Accept Jesus today as your savior and as your friend. And church, we must build our community on Jesus Christ. In reality, Ventura, when Christ is at the center, we will grow, we will learn, we will serve. And we will display Jesus to the world. So if you've had wounds, or if there's some barriers keeping you from fully just serving and getting integrated, my charge to you is look to Jesus. Serve because of Jesus. Commit because of Jesus. This isn't about convenience or preference. This is about partnership. We believe the gospel is worth it. So if you're wearing a mask today, it's time to remove that mask without fear and shame because of Jesus you are forgiven. Because of Jesus you are accepted. And because of Jesus you can forgive others. He is the resource we need for the healing of all relational wounds. He is the resource we need to bring us together. The union we have with Jesus through faith offers us a joy that no one else can give and no one else can take it away. And the privilege is we get to share it together. Amen? So let's press into that even now as we respond. Heavenly Father, we do ask as we hear your word, as we see these examples, as we hear your truth, I pray that we would take them to heart. God, I pray for those who've experienced difficulties in relationships in the church, perhaps unmet expectations, 
maybe even wounds. I pray that you would bring healing today as they look to you. That they would remember Jesus died for those people just like he died for me. I pray that they would look to Jesus and find the healing that they need. And Father, I pray that we'd be so encouraged today to dive in, to get involved in the lives of one another. Knowing it's not about preference, it's about a partnership. It's about the gospel. What you've called us to absolutely matters. And if we're going to carry the gospel to this lost and dying world, we need to do it together. And so, Father, I pray that right now as we worship and as we take communion, as we pray, that we would just have our convictions settled. Like, man, we're in this because Jesus is in this for me. So I pray that you'd encourage us and strengthen us in our faith now. And for anyone that does not yet know you, I pray that right now they would come to know you and trust in Jesus. For we ask in his name. Amen.